Injured in an accident? Good news. Help has arrived. Thomas J. Henry is a personal injury law firm now serving Austin and the surrounding communities. Call Thomas J. Henry now at 512-817-1905, San Antonio and Austin, Texas. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles. And I'm Alyssa Vidalis, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake and the offices of the Austin American Statesman. For more than 15 years, Carol Huntsberger has owned Quality Seafood, the legendary Austin fish market that has been around for more than 80 years. But taking the helm of a well-established seafood company wasn't what Huntsberger had in mind when she was a top sales associate for Mary Kay. On this episode, Huntsberger tells the story of how she decided to park the cosmetics career and the pink Cadillac to become Austin's top fishmongress. She also shares about developing relationships with chefs, shrimpers, and generations of customers and the changes along Airport Boulevard, where quality seafood has called home since the 1970s. Also in this week's episode, Alyssa and I catch up about some of the other powerful women we encountered during this year's South by Southwest, including audio clips with sometimes Austinite Zoe Deschanel, Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi, WWE icon Stephanie McMahon, and cookbook author Anita Lowe. But first, let's hear from Carol. Carol Huntsberger, welcome to I Love You So Much. I love you so much, too. <laughs> so we're down here at the Statesman, but Carol, uh, you have been the owner of Quality Seafood now for 15 years? 15 years. But Quality Seafood has been around for 81 years. 81 years. Tell us about the early days of Quality Seafood. I mean, it was downtown, correct? Downtown. It started at a farmer's market, Star's Vegetable Market, um, and they were bringing fish in. Wow. And then it grew and grew and moved over to... Um, well, it was be over by the UT campus now, and they were actually moved again um, to East Avenue, which is now IH35, and where Dish Fought Filled Oh, my is. gosh. So, Quality and, Seafood predates I-35. It predates uh, many of the UT facilities. Yes, yes. Um, and so, tell me, you took it over, though, 15 years ago. It was already on uh, Airport Boulevard already at that on time. Air- it's since 1970. But yeah. you didn't come from a fish family. No, ma'am. Did not. I was a... Um, business degree from Texas State or Southwest Texas Bobcats at the time and um, married, had young children, and I was a sales director with Mary Kay Cosmetics. I um, grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I didn't really know anything about fish except that I loved to eat it. <laughs> and that was about it. And so you, the opportunity to buy the restaurant had, and the market had just come to you? Well, my husband at the time was in financial services, and right after 9-11, the financial industry kind of tanked. And the prior owner, Sam Eves, Paul, my ex-husband and I had gone to college with, and we approached him about doing a second location. And he said, nope, I've been here 15 years, I'm done. So we bought the business. I did not want a single moment of time in that whole building, except to just get free fish to take home, right? A year later in the business, um, Sam's wife had stayed to keep the books and she called and she said, I can't find Paul um, and we can make payroll or we can pay this frozen fish company. And I said, where is he? So I was on my way to the coast with my children and called a friend of mine that was with Wells Fargo. She did a line of credit over the telephone, which would never happen nowadays. We never dipped into it because of course, but at that time everything was still by mail. And so just with the cash flow of the business and I went to work at Quality Seafood. I had an accounting background from 
Southwest Texas, and I had to learn about fish. Wow. So I got on airplanes, and I went and saw where they farm fish in Idaho. I went and got on a lobster boat. I um, went and saw where they catch drum, went to the Blessing of the Fleet and learned how they do shrimp, and I learned how to cut a fish. It was gross. I'm not going to lie. The first one was gross. I bet there are some stinky days. There were some stinky days. There are a lot of stinky days. But took over, and a year later, I fired my husband and kind of just ran the business, and I learned a lot. I had some great people that had been there a long time, and they taught me just about everything I could about fish, and I just learned. I mean, I just listened. I learned and just, you know, made great contacts, great Mm -hmm. people along the way, and Luckily, Quality Seafood had a lot of people that they'd bought fish from from a long time, had good history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that we buy from now, we've been buying from for 50 years. I mean, it's an amazing thing. You inherited those relationships. Yeah. And now you're the queen fish mongress That's of what Austin. I call myself. Mongress. <laughs> you're also a restaurateur. When you bought the, the, it was mostly a market at the time. When well, you bought it, it was also and wholesale. A, and, and so you also, you really expanded the restaurant offerings. Tell me about your thinking behind that. So, well, that was all quite by accident. Um, we had one end of the building and in the middle of the building had been a CVS pharmacy and they had moved out. And the landlord came to me and he said, Carol, I have someone who wants to buy the building. Um... And so I need you to renew your lease here now, and but I'd like to give you the first crack at buying the building. So I made an offer, and he came back to me, and he said, well, he offered a million dollars more than you did. And I said, well, that's great, because it's going to take me a million dollars to bring this building to code. We had been grandfathered since 1970, so this was in 2011. We had one bathroom. I mean, one men's, one women's. We... We were so outdated. To put Mm -hmm. a toilet in was going to cost me about $800,000 just to bring the building to code, to put the sprinkler systems in, to put the right plumbing in, the electrical. So I said, okay, I guess guess they're going to buy it. Yeah. So I started looking around for another place to move, quality seafood. I found a location. Um, We were under a lease or starting to work a lease contract, and they were actually in default of their loan, so they couldn't sign any leases. So I kept just doing a month-to-month on our building, and finally the owner of the building came to me and he said, Carol, it's time for you to renew. You've got five years left, your last renewal. And I said, well, I'm not going to renew. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm not going to renew. I know what's going to happen. He's going to pay a million dollars more than me. My rent's going to go through the roof, and there's no way that we can generate that income in this little space here, and so I'm going to be forced to move. So about three months later, he came back and he said, okay, I'll take your offer. So I was able to buy the building and we expanded. So I had to expand mm-hmm. because I had to be able to pay for the building now. Mm-hmm. So you had more rooms, you could have more tables. And, and we were able to add hours. a grill. And yeah, it's been an amazing thing. An oyster bar. Anthony Bourdain came and ate oysters there. Yes, I mean, that had we to have just, been a highlight. It's, it's a highlight. Yeah. Every day is a highlight, you know, because we have the wholesale department. So I get to work with all the chefs in Austin and, you know, other restaurant owners. And it's just an amazing treat to see where we've come in the restaurant world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just have our simple little, you know, recipes that we've had for years and years and years. And then to have our counter and see the customers and you know, just to hear people come in. I mean, it's a treat. Three or four generations of a family will come in. You know, I was coming here with my grandma, and 
now they're bringing their children in. And it's just such an amazing thing, the stories and the history. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had no idea when I got involved with quality what all that really meant until we bought the building and had our 75th anniversary. And when we had our anniversary party and there were, like, I invited the fishermen from down at the coast that came. And I, we got to see the whole, you know, fish to... Austin, you know what I mean? And, and where it goes to families that cook at home, to our restaurant, to other restaurants. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, just a humbling experience to people, see. Are, but people are so interested in where their food come, comes yeah, from. Yeah. Well, and you've given us a glimpse into what it's like running an older business in Austin. The realities of it are, are not as glamorous as we might think. No. What do you also wish people knew about the fish business? Oh, so much. We don't grow it. I don't have an ocean in the back of quality seafood. You don't have a trout farm I up in Idaho. I do not yeah. have any of that in my backyard. And so unlike walking into a grocery store where, I mean, I don't think I've ever been in there where they were out of salt or ketchup, right? I mean, it's not a staple. And so we have so many challenges with weather, um, with catch limits on different coasts. It's just amazing and just trying to get things here and making sure the airlines don't bump it off because they're their airline was full. You know what I mean? The plane was full. And so people had more freight underneath. And so my freight gets bumped off and that lobsters don't live when they don't come in overnight. You know what I mean? Just well, little fish things. Fish is so perishable. And the Actually, supply chain it's is much, it's much healthier than you think. It depends on how you bring seafood in. If you get a whole fish in, um, it's actually good for about seven days which is a lot longer than most people would ever think about fish. But it just depends on how fresh it comes out of the water and how quick they get what they call the heat out of it. So once the fish is dead, to get it iced down as quickly as possible, and you can get a pretty good shelf life out of fish. We sell it quicker than that, but it can last that long. (laughs) I just personally like how you kind of went from fish scales and lipstick to actually selling stuff with fish scales on it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Off, like off mic, I did ask about a little bit of your Mary Kay experience. You had a pink Cadillac. Yes. What? Yes. Where is it? Yes. I know. What is, how does we, that go down? So, Can well, you put fish you in there? Give it up. You have to give it up when you leave the you company. You have to give it up. No. no, you only get them, you earn them every couple years. So you drive it for a couple years and then you have a choice of taking the money or driving the car. So hmm. at the end, while I was still doing Mary Kay and had quality seafood, I was taking the money because then I could buy cars and... I needed a car because a pink Cadillac and a salmon coming out of the back of it just isn't really <laughs> the so same thing. That's so awesome. It's on the nose, yeah. <laughs> salmon well, my favorite story, uh, really one of my favorite stories, my first year after kind of giving up most of my Mary Kay career, and it was Lent, and it was a Good Friday, and we mm. were slammed. I mean, the mm. restaurant, the retail counter, the wholesale, and I was back in the back. I had my fish boots on, and... The guys had been cutting fish, and I ordered fried chicken. And I was standing over this trash can that was full of salmon guts. I mean, like fish heads and salmon guts. And I'm chomping, starving on a chicken leg, right? And I looked down, and I was like, wow, if my Mary Kay girlfriends could see me now. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what you learned from Mary Kay that you still use today. You know what? I learned so much. That was an amazing woman, Mary Kay, and what she did and what she did for women and really building women. And I think one of the most important things that I learned, she had a saying that when you walk into a room, when you meet people, look at their forehead and read their forehead and their forehead reads, make me feel important. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's so important and such a neat thing when you can look at people and you can see how important it is to make them feel special and feel important Mm -hmm. and loved and that they matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest things that I learned from Mary Kay. That has nothing to do with makeup or fish. I know. It's amazing. (laughs) But you know what? It's none of life really does, does it? It's all about relationships. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's not... We don't remember many things, but we remember how people make us feel. So speaking of neighbors and your relationships, you have uh, a bunch of new friends up on Airport Boulevard. William's Candies has been there forever. Forever. But a ton of new businesses. Uh, Highland Mall has changed significantly since you took ownership of Quality Seafood. Will you tell us a little bit about the changes you're seeing? Oh, it's so exciting, you know, um, to see what we've become. I mean, when, when I was there in the early days, it wasn't really necessarily the safest or best part of town to be in and to see it grow and to see the youth that's come over there and the inspiration. I mean, to have some of these great restaurants now with Sala and Bede and Kome and just the exciting and their women owned businesses also, which is even so exciting for me because I just love that. Um, but to see that expansion and the growth, um, and see it become a more vibrant place is really it's just exciting. You know, there's enough. People ask me all the time, do you really want other restaurants around you? And I'm like, yes, they make us better, right? They keep us on our game. And so I think it's a really good thing. If I walked into quality seafood right now, and I've, I personally don't really eat fish or anything, but I wanted to get like a quality like market experience, what would you tell me to get? So you mean buying something to take home and cook? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, scallops are always my favorite. Mm. So mm. I would ask one of our fishmongers. We have um, an executive chef there who oh. um, can give you some great ideas and recipes and all the ingredients. We've got fresh vegetables in there now. And so you can take home just about everything you need to prepare your meal um, completely. So our market is really growing and expanding. and We're trying to serve those needs, especially as we see all the apartments and condos and stuff that are going in where people shop every day right for their meal and so we can offer a lot of great things so don't be shy and ask questions oh ask questions yeah. i think ask fish questions. can be intimidating for, totally. for people for home cooks especially you get into the routine of cooking salmon or tilapia or sort of the more common fish um but you see maybe a whole fish and you've never done that before i think that fishmongers love to be asked oh how what do i do with what this? do i do or, or what are your favorites you know if you have this counter and you're overwhelmed by 20 options ask your fish fishmonger what excites you about what well, is in this case right now? Fish is expensive. You know, it's a little different than going in and buying chicken. And there's a thousand recipes for chicken. And there are, yes, different ways that they grow and feed chicken. But chicken is chicken, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's chicken. Mm-hmm. But you can walk in and you've got, like you said, salmon. And you've got scallops. And you've got shrimp. And the difference between a farm raised and a wild cod or a white or a brown. I mean, it's just so amazing all the choices that you have just in shrimp alone. And then you just get into like snapper and drum and wild caught or farm raised. And yeah, there's a million choices and a million ways to prepare it. So it's, it's exciting, but it's intimidating because mm-hmm. it's expensive and you don't want to blow it. You don't mind burning a piece of chicken. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to blow a $15 a yeah, piece of salmon, yeah. right? You want to cook it right. So what's your favorite way to eat fish? Well, I love everything on the grill, everything on the grill. I'm a grill, 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 but, um, Broiling is pretty simple, easy. And you just season lightly, salt, oh, pepper, you know butter. When you're buying fresh seafood, you can taste the freshness. And so you really don't need much of anything. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple. That's neat. Now, so do you have uh, some crawfish boils and Lent-related activities oh my coming gosh, up this yes. spring? Mardi Gras. We're booked. 
We're booked for so coffee Fridays season. are going to be pretty busy. Fridays for Lent. will be crazy. Yeah. They're fun though. They're exciting. It's game time. That's we are on. Cool. Um, my last question is just about how you've seen your clientele change. You you talk about families coming in, multi generations of of families, fish lovers coming in. Um, you know, what is it like for you as a business owner to sort of go to work every day and see new faces? Some familiar faces, but also new customers you haven't met before. Just talk to me about that evolving relationship that you've had. Do you know, it's, um, it's magical. That's, that's what I would say. It's magical. We are so blessed at Quality Seafood that we have such a diverse customer base. We have, you know, the people who really, they don't have a dime, but they're coming in and they're buying their fish on Friday, every Friday with grandma, you know, and we've got people who can bring in their own bottle of wine and pay the corkage fee and they've got a $300 bottle of wine. Do you know what I mean? We've got it all, but it's, that's what makes it so magical is you see, um, you know, in a city where we're always looking for diversity and people and family and friends and community, we really get to experience that every day at Quality Seafood. It's pretty awesome. Well, Carol, thanks so much for coming in. I love you so much. Thanks. I love you too. This is great. This is awesome. So, Alyssa, we are finally recovered from South by Southwest. Are we, though? Yeah, I don't know. It takes a few months. <laughs> but I am still thinking about some really amazing panels and films and parties I went to. And I definitely saw a theme of women empowerment, girls empowerment at this year's South by. I don't know if you noticed that, too. Yeah, I feel like the field's kind of been elevated this year compared to most years. Um, I know I was mostly in the film festival circuit, but there were some amazing, strong lead performances from Lupita Nyong'o in Us and a film that I'm super hyped about called Little Monsters. Like, she is so good in this film. She plays a little kindergartner teacher and who takes her trip onto, like, this uh, Australian, like, petting zoo, which then gets invaded by zombies. And so she has to, like, pretend that it's a game for these kids and fight off zombies while also, like, serenading them with, like, a ukulele with Taylor Swift songs. Like, she does such an amazing job. And there was this film called The Art of Self-Defense with Imogen Poots. And, like, she does, she steals the show. And, I don't know, there's so many others, but wow. This like, is Lupita's year. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been hearing a lot of great things about us. Uh, I saw the Diana Kennedy documentary, which was amazing. She's 95 years old. She's this uh, icon who lives in Michoacan, Mexico. She's from England, but hasn't lived there for years. And she is considered the world's foremost authority on Mexican cuisine. And she's a white woman down there doing it. But this documentary, which was made by an Austinite named Elizabeth Carroll, Hmm. really digs into why Diana is so well respected, especially among Mexicans. And it's because she has spent 50, 60 years driving all over that country to interview grandmothers, mothers, home cooks about their their cuisines and, and their dishes. And so... You know, the the movie also wrestles, we watch her wrestling with her legacy because she's, you know, 95 years old, lives on her own, doesn't have any kids. She's been married to this career for so long. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with her, you know, her cookbooks, her collections and her legacy when it's all over. But um, the good news is she's actually going to be in Austin on May 6th for an event at Fonda San Miguel. Oh, wow. So Austinites have an opportunity to meet with her here in the next couple of months. That's cool. So, but I, most of my time was actually not spent watching movies, but I was at panels. And the very first panel that I went to was actually with Stephanie McMahon. Of like WWE fan, right? Yes. <laughs> I, know, I only know a little bit about that circuit, so but that I, name rings. Yeah, no, she, I mean, the McMahons are infamous. Um, and she and her husband, Triple H, actually run the show now. Yeah. Wait, no. she's married to that Triple H yeah, person? Yeah, yeah. And he, <laughs> 
he was also there and I did shake his hand. I, it was wow. definitely a personal highlight of, of the <laughs> festival. But Stephanie was there to talk about girls empowerment and the WWE has done an amazing job of putting female athletes at the forefront of the whole business. And women are main eventing at WrestleMania this year and they had their own pay-per-view last year. Hmm. And so she was on a panel with um, some other women who are involved in, in sports and also um, like it's called the Female Quotient Lounge. And so it's a, pl- a place for women to come together and like co-work and help each other out. And so they were talking about how we can talk to young women differently and how we can start to uh, recognize how important representation is in media. She specifically went after the WNBA and Sports Center, which I thought was really interesting. You can be anything you want to be, but if you, if you don't see women in that role, you just might not think that way. Um, I do think that there's a huge opportunity for media and sports. I mean, I, I don't think that we hear enough about women's sports when you think about you know, even the, the WNBA, like when, when is their season? Because I don't hear it talked about, you know, uh, when are, when's their playoffs? When I look at plays of the week on, on other media properties, I'm not seeing women's sports represented. And I don't know why, because the, the physicality of it, the athleticism is awesome. Um, and, you know, again, it doesn't have to dominate, but it needs to have equal representation. And until that happens... You know, I don't think we're going to see change, but that is an actionable outcome that we can make happen. So, yes, although the WWE might not technically be a quintessential sport, they are at the forefront of changing how we look at female athletes. In I mean, the there's media. some physicality there oh, for yeah. effing sure. Yeah, I, I <laughs> definitely have come to appreciate it for the the artistic and the athletic, the combination of those two things. And it's like a theatrical experience. That, sure. I mean, if you watch soap operas and you also were a little sports nut like I was when I was a kid, okay. it's perfect for you. Oh, perfect. Can't wait. <laughs> so another, more on my beat is a panel I went to with Padma Lakshmi. She's the top chef host and executive producer. She's been associated with that show forever. And she was a food writer for a long time before she became a, a TV host. Mm-hmm. And she, as a woman of... Indian descent who grew up in America had some really interesting things to say about cultural uh, appreciation and and cultural appropriation Hmm. that actually surprised me. When I see a a Caucasian woman wearing a sari, I think it's beautiful. I do. I don't get offended when somebody wants to wear a bindi. You know, it's not, I I don't own my culture. I'm very secure in my culture, and so I want to share it. And, you know, I have, I have a big Diwali party. It's like our Christmas and Fourth of July wrapped into one. And I have girlfriends at my makeup parties, actually. Regina said, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate or whatever, but I'd like to wear a star. I've always been fascinated. I said, absolutely. Come over and I'll tell you how to, you know, wrap it. And I said, it's always very comfortable. I'm very honored and, and flattered that somebody's taking the energy and, you know, the, the, the care to know about my culture. Now that's different from someone wearing a sari or bindi and then shaking their hair head and doing a caricature on it, you know. But I think like we're in a very sensitive time and I understand that um, and it's good overall, but we have to be careful also, like, you know, how how we choose to meet out our consciousness. And so um, I think I think it's a beautiful thing because it that kind of like hyper political correctness does not allow for love. It does not allow for appreciation and admiration. And you know, 
I would know that when Lavita is asking me to teach her how to wear a sari, um, she's doing it because she that's always something she's coveted and she's admired about my culture and something that I can share with her and we can get to know each other better that way. So I think we have to make the distinction and use those things, you know, take a moment and, and use those things to bring us closer rather than try and separate us and put us on opposite sides of some, you know, it was really interesting to hear her take about um, her approach to seeing people wear the sari. And it, it was, it, I, that's really cool. Cause yeah, that is a kind of like a very heated kind of like topic area right now. And I think she said it kind of like gracefully. Absolutely. I have been certainly one of those people who will almost be too politically correct whenever it comes to food and, mm-hmm. and cultural appropriation, because we've seen too much of it. And I think, Maybe we are in a time where it's okay to be a little bit too sensitive and we will course correct. But I think her voice is really an important one as we consider that. For sure. Uh, The other, one of the biggest food related things going on at South by this year was the launch of Let Us Grow, which is a new food company from Zoe Deschanel (laughs) and her husband, Jacob. They have been living in part time in Austin for a couple of years now. They bought Farmhouse Delivery, which is actually pretty big news in the food world. It's a food delivery company. Um, it's a grocery delivery company, I should say. Sure. And uh, they they bought an aquaponics farm in southeast Austin, and they have launched a vertical farming pod. They look really cool. And you like, could get you... plants shipped to you as part of a subscription model. So, like, every month you would get, like, six plants to put in this pod mm-hmm. and grow and your own like food. A, like a six-foot-tall column type yeah. thing with, like, kind of looks like one of those fancy little pottery things with the plants, like, on the side of them. Exactly. We and have photos water. on the website, for yeah. sure. And but... there's water down in the bottom that's circulated. So, I went to their launch party at the South Congress Hotel and chatted with her about how getting involved with food has made such a huge impact on their family. Yeah, well, it changed our lives being more involved with our food. And I've always liked to cook. And I grew up with, you know, parents that appreciated food. And my mom would cook pretty much every day. So I, I had that background. But but um, when I was pregnant with our first baby, we started really looking into, you know, what foods would be the most nutritious and which, you know, what was going to be the best for the baby. And the more we looked into our food... the the harder it was to find information about it. It was like, it felt like we kept hitting wall after wall when we'd, when we'd try to find out about our food. So this has been a mission we've been on since then. And we, we also felt like if, well, we can go to farmer's markets and we can go to, you know, the organic market and buy, you know, kind of spend the extra money and time and do this. But what about everybody else? What if it's, you know, how difficult is it for everybody and and being interested in not just how we were eating but how everybody else was and and wanting to make it easier and more affordable for people to eat well eat healthy and you know eat in a way that's nutritious for them and their kids you know because like mostly when you grow up eating a lot of vegetables and grow up growing food how it completely changes the way that you think about food but this is for people that might not have a green thumb, might not have the time, might only have a balcony. Um, you can fit this anywhere. And we've tried our best to make this extremely affordable, doable. And um, we also have our give back program. So we're, we're giving, for every 10 we sell, we're giving one to um, an underserved community, like a school or, you know, um, community center. So, um, yeah. So 
Zoe and Jacob are definitely part-time Austinites. I'll claim them. And they are full-time food business owners. So it'll be really interesting to see how they influence the food scene in coming years. So finally, one of my very last things I did for South By was I went to this aquaculture dinner where Andrew Zimmern was hosting a, as you heard, dear listeners of the podcast, about a dinner focusing on the changing ways that we are raising fish in, you know, basically ocean farms. This is a very fishy podcast. This is a very fishy (laughs) podcast. Um, But at that dinner, I had the privilege of chatting with Anita Lowe, who is a New York-based chef and cookbook author. Her cookbook last year was actually named one of the top cookbooks of the year by Eater. Hmm. And it was about the art of cooking for one. So I asked her about it. Well, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And for some reason, we got on this very long ideation session about cookbook titles with my last name in it, which is Lowe. So we had low country cooking. We had low fat locale it just kept on going and two of them were you know solo and alone and i was like oh my god i have to write that that could be funny and it would be really easy because the you know you know you don't have to buy a lot of ingredients and it necessarily has to be short and a couple of years later i battered out and it happened really quickly so what are you hearing from cooks who have bought it and are using it I, you know, it's being received really, really well. Um, I actually was stopped on the street, and someone was like, thank you. Like, it was just, it was so effusive that I, I was just sort of taken aback, and I was like, uh, you know, I was like, it was kind of a joke when I decided to start to write this. And it was like, oh, my God, I've really hit something here. Um, but, yeah, it's done really well. It got Eater Book of the Year, which is great and i am honored so tell me what you've learned about the pleasures of cooking for one by the process of writing this book sort of i think people think about cooking that they need to reserve cooking for when they're entertaining exactly powerful about doing it for yourself exactly i think um food is culture and food is identity and you know and you are who you eat, so if you're, you know, do you, do you really want to be a bowl of popcorn standing over the sink at night? I don't. So, <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah, it can be very empowering to cook for yourself. And, um, yeah, I mean, I get it. Some people just don't like to cook. But these are all very easy recipes, mostly 30 minutes or less. And, um, you know, you can get, you can eat what you want. And, um, and no one's watching, so you can hog the whole thing and yeah, get it all over yourself if you need to so yeah season it exactly the way you want yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Um, how is this book well I want to hear about your first book Cooking Without Borders yes that was very different than this cookbook absolutely this was that one was um, more I think that was more of a you know it was my first cookbook so it it was you know on some level a mission statement or it was like you know it was your it had to. It had to define you, uh, or I felt like it had to define me. That's why it took me like several decades to write, um, and then finally I got. I hired someone to write, help me write it. Um, but um, yeah, that was. You know, there were a lot of, lot of recipes in there that were more restauranty and a lot harder. The, you know, cooking for one is or solo is, is, all for the home cook. Yeah, I would take that approach over. You know, eating some popcorn over a sink. I have, t- I did that last night, actually, let's be real. But um, maybe I'll just check out her book and kind of get inspired. Yeah, I was definitely impressed with Anita's philosophy and just how well the cookbook has done and how cool, calm, and collected she was at the end of a very busy dinner. So my to-do list after South by Southwest includes watching the final season of Broad City, 
which makes me sad that it's ending. Family has some good acclaim here. And this is not exactly a feminist hot take, but I really do want to watch The Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey. I mean, he's a local legend. How could you not? I'm sure there's going to be some women's empowerment in there, hopefully. I mean, I think his wife kind of keeps him in shape, so. Yeah, and I'll be looking forward to uh, the new FX series, What We Do in the Shadows, which features a really cool female vampire, which was different from the movie. Um, And judging from the pilot episode, like, Oh, there's just like weird vampire love triangle. And like she thinks that someone from her past is like, you know, resurrected and is like undead and is just walking around just some normal dude. Yeah. <laughs> but, so we also have to make sure that Shill is on both of our watch lists. I've heard oh, the yeah. 80 Bryant, this new series. Uh, I think it's on Hulu. It's just fantastic. So mm-hmm. that's what I might be watching tonight, actually. Who runs the world? That's our show. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is provided by local band Hardproof. To keep up with us online, we're Love Austin 360 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the features staff at the Austin American Statesman, and the show is produced by Alyssa Vidales and Addie Broyles. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your adorable photos of your dogs in the blue bonnets. Until next week, we'll see you flying kites at Silker Park at this weekend's Kite Festival.